So in this new season um, of this community, we're going to begin each uh, time together with some guided silence and reflection. For now, I'm going to take about four to five minutes um, to lead you through this, and we'll talk more about it in the weeks to come and the months to come. Okay. So if you'd like to close your eyes, if you're comfortable with that, um, just take a moment, maybe some deeper breaths than normal. Even let your body kind of settle into the chair underneath you. And come Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence in our life. So I invite you to think back over the last week of your life. If that feels like too big of a chunk, maybe just the last 24 hours. And first of all, see if you can notice any difficult situations that you're facing. Big or small. As they come to mind, or you feel that in your body, um, invite Jesus, our God who intimately knows suffering, to be with you in these memories or in your current situations. As best you're able, notice and name any fear. Perhaps there's some anxiety or sadness. God is present to us. Once again, as you ponder your current life, ask God to help you notice any places of hope, any warmth or beauty happening in your life right now. Big or small. When have you felt loved? Any sense of a soothing peace in your life right now? Any encouragement? And as you linger there, again, ask God to be with you in these places. 
or give you the eyes to see him with you. God, you are always present to us in the light and in the dark, in the past and in the present. Meet each of us this morning just as we come. Let us rest in your love today. And our scripture reading for this morning um, comes from Paul's letter to the Ephesians and the Corinthians. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians 2.10 For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. 1 Corinthians 3.9 This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jamie. Hey, good morning. It's good, to, it's good to be here with you. Um, I know that that four or five minutes of quiet and silence for some of you was absolutely amazing, and for some of you it was terrible, and that's totally okay. If you found yourself uh, having a bit of a wandering mind, that's totally normal. If it makes you feel any better, about halfway through that, I found myself thinking about the Chinese food I ate earlier this week, and um, it just happens. So, uh, it's totally fine. We're going to continue to practice into that. And um, if you are new with us or you've been with us for a while, um, it's, a, it's a brand new season. And we've got some new rhythms that we're going to have to get used to and practice into, um, which will probably take us a couple months. And we'll talk a little bit about some of that um, at our meeting after, afterwards. So <clears throat> we want to welcome you. Um, if you are new or newish with us, uh, you're, you're in good company because this is my first Sunday as the interim lead pastor of this church, and so I'm actually kind of new myself, um, but, but not entirely new, which I'll tell, tell you a little bit more about. Um, so this morning will be a little heavier um, for me telling you a little bit about my life and about my story. Um, some of you don't really know who I am, and I want to give you a little context for um, why I'm here, why I'm the interim pastor and then I'm going to talk to you at our, at our meeting afterwards a little bit about what my job is in the next couple of years. So, um, so I'm going to talk to you a little bit about my story uh, today, um, but I'm primarily interested moving forward in, in talking to you about this story right here. And so generally there'll be um, some teaching and preaching at our Sunday gatherings so I'm going to talk a little bit about my story, about our story as a church, and about the whole story this morning. So three parts, my story, our story, and the whole story. Uh, so first, my story. I am not quite sure the scriptures make a whole lot of sense to me anymore. And this is probably not the thing you want to hear your new pastor say. <laughs> in the opening sermon of his first day on the job. So, let me be really clear. As best as I can remember, this is what I said to Jeff Cannell, I think on a walk through the Wahala Ravine nearly 20 years ago as this church was getting started. 
I was going through what we now call deconstruction, but back then uh, nobody else really was talking about this. No one else had the same kind of questions that I was asking, and I was really struggling. And I was feeling hopeless about trying to make sense of some of the questions that I was holding uh, in that season. And so I went for a walk with my new pastor, Jeff Cannell, about 20 years ago. And listen, in that season of my life, I could be a bit intense. Um, uh, some of you who knew me 20 years ago were like, yeah, that's actually true. And if you, if you want to uh, check in on the facts and, and data check that, you're welcome to talk with my wife. Um, I was a bit intense 20 years ago, and I was asking really serious questions about the nature of God and about the person of Jesus and about how to understand the scriptures, and I was trying to wrap my mind around all of it. And particularly, I was trying to wrap my mind around my, why my college friend Jason um, did not come to faith after four years of coffee hearing me talk with him about Jesus. And why my other friend, Foz, yes, his name was Foz, why he did come to faith. I mean, same sets of conversations, same frequency of conversations at Brennan's Cafe. Charlie, you were there sitting two tables over. That's an interesting story. But we were all philosophy students, me and Jason and Foz at Ohio State, and I ran into Foz, of all people, a year after college, and he had come to profess faith in Jesus. And Jason was as funny and smart and tender of a person that you would ever meet, a person that I prayed for to come to faith almost every week for years. And through tears one day, uh, playing chess at our first apartment here in Clintonville, Jason says to me, Jared, I have heard you talk about Jesus more than anyone I know. I deeply respect you, and I have tried to believe in the things that you have shared with me and I just don't believe it. And I'm not quite sure why, but this sent me on a bit of a tailspin. Like over the next several months, many of the questions that I had been holding about how this story is meant to fit together and make sense, like those questions began to surface for me in a very real way. They kept me awake at night. Those questions, they made me anxious. And eventually I began to wonder whether or not I believed it anymore. And I had shared the story of Jesus with hundreds of people on campus. Again, if you were around in the late 90s, early aughts in Columbus, Ohio, particularly on campus, my name was in the paper for talking about Jesus. That just sort of gives you a little context. I uh, traveled to the Middle East to share uh, the story of Jesus with co college students for a year, which is where Jamie and I began to date and fell in love and came back and got married. I had a season of my life where I knocked on every fraternity door on campus offering to clean their toilets because I thought at that time that that would be a really practical way to sort of get my foot in the door, to be able to have some conversation about Jesus, that this would be a practical way of demonstrating love to them. So I've cleaned lots of toilets in the fraternities at Ohio State University. You can imagine what that was like. I went through hundreds of gallons of hot chocolate in the winter months on Ohio State's campus with a specially designed external frame backpack enabling me to carry five gallons of hot chocolate to the Oval in the winter months. Had a little dispenser and a cup dispenser out this side and I would fill up that hot chocolate and I would hand that to people in 15 degree weather and told them that God loves them. 
And listen, I am not sharing any of this with you as a resume. I am trying to paint a picture for you of who I was from the age of 18 to 24. I think if I were to meet that person today, I think I'd be more than a little bit annoyed. (laughs) I'm not going to (laughs) lie. I'm trying to help you understand that I had oriented my entire world from the age of 18 to 24 around the scriptures and the person of Jesus. And here I was a year or so into marriage, and I felt as though all of the faith that I had was completely draining from me. And so I said one final prayer to God. I said, if you have ever saved me, you're going to have to do it again. And that was it. And then I spent the next six months crying myself to sleep. Because now, I didn't know what to think or believe about my life. Gosh, I thought I could do this without crying. I was preparing a little bit yesterday. I just began to bawl when I remember the season of my life. Because I'm trying to help you understand that everything that I had given my life for, I, I just, it just didn't make sense to me anymore. And so I finally got up the courage to ask Jeff, my new pastor, to meet with me. And I said, I'm not quite sure the scriptures make a whole lot of sense anymore. And of course, Jeff just said, oh. (laughs) Spiritual puberty, that's what he told me. You're going through spiritual puberty. And he took me on a walk and he told me that it was going to be okay. And over the next weeks and months, he introduced me to an Anglican prayer book, a book of common prayer that I would just read and count as my own prayers because I had found that I didn't know how to pray anymore. And over the next several years, I went through seasons of depression for what I now know was unprocessed grief, and I received hours of prayer from a a woman who was on staff named Sheila. How many of you remember Sheila? We bless you, Sheila. She's not dead. She's just not here. Uh, (laughs) And so before we get too far into this new season with new rhythms and a new chapter in the life of this church, I just need to say publicly, and it would have been a better situation if Jeff were here, but if Jeff were here, he's in Costa Rica right now, enjoying sunshine in the jungle, uh, I'd say thank you. Thank you, Jeff. And I want all of you to know that I know that my life would be radically different if Jeff had not grabbed me in the midst of deconstruction or spiritual puberty or whatever it was that was turning me so upside uh, upside down. Uh, Jeff was a really good pastor to me in those years. Uh, in a very vulnerable season of my life, and he nurtured in me so much of who I am, and I'm not sure that that others would have been as kind and patient to me as Jeff had, had been. Jeff's been a good pastor to so many people for 20 years, and I am really, really grateful. And I know that many of you also are. So, odd season that there's no overlap, but we're just going to go with it, okay? So as the years went by, and I read some theology, and I learned how to pray, I began to preach and serve as a leader and then later as a pastor in this church for almost 10 years until a handful of us 
went to plant a new church on the west side of Columbus in the neighborhood of Franklinton, which we labored at for about seven and a half years, uh, the majority of which was in the time of COVID. Do you guys remember the COVID thing? Okay. And just this past March, uh, the woman that I was pastoring alongside of, Hannah Estabrook, um, and I uh, discerned that it was time for us to close that church for all sorts of reasons. And so this catches you up to like the past six months. So I'm, I'm coming out of 2023 as one of the hardest years of ministry for me, um, having processed a ton of grief and harvest a tremendous amount of joy and goodness. Um, that's, that's how I'm coming into this. I'm leaving out a lot of details of the past 20 years, by the way, as you can imagine. I've been married for 22 years. Um, my wife, Jamie, who led us in our time of silence this morning. I have four daughters, both all of which are here, um, and they have lived most of this story with me. And over the past few months, as I've been thinking about what it would mean for me to step into leadership here at Central Vineyard, I've been asking really one question. H- how did we get here? Or, or more like how it comes out in my brain is more like, how did we get here? <laughs> I'm asking that, that question because it's the first Sunday of a new part-time job for me, but it's also the new Sunday of a brand new year, and I know that a lot of people get a little reflective around this time of year, don't we? How many of you guys have like tried to do a little reflection of 2023, maybe looking forward to 2023? 24. Anybody goal setters around here? Okay. I don't like goals. I don't set. No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> it's a time of year where we sort of take some stock and inventory. We, we take a look at our bank account. We sign up for that new budgeting app. We maybe jump on the scale. We join a gym. Um, we review where we've been the last year. We try to get a handle on all of it. And at the beginning of the year, it's really a great, a great question to ask, how did I get here? And then the follow-up question is sort of like, where am I going? What's this next year going to look like? And this brings us to our first teaching text for this morning. It comes from Ephesians. It says, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand for us to do. So the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in the city of Ephesus, and he's writing this letter years after he planted that church, and he's writing to remind them of what it was that he preached to them so many years ago, urging them not to lose sight of the heart of the gospel, reminding them of who they were and how they had come to be the people of God, whose life was centered now around the person of Jesus. And the first half of the letter, the, the first three chapters, are, are sort of big ideas and well-crafted explanations for, for how the, the whole world is supposed to work, God's cosmic plan. And Paul sums up God's cosmic plan. He basically gives away the end of the story in one small sentence in Ephesians chapter 1, that all things would be summed up in Christ, that everything would be made well. That the inheritance that God has for his people has already been delivered in the person of Jesus. And everyone who wants in on this inheritance story can be a part of it because the life that Jesus lived is the eternal glory of God sort of pushed into the form of a human being. 
and he made it available to everybody. That God has demonstrated his love through his presence in the person of Jesus and his affection and presence is ongoingly being poured out into our lives through the Holy Spirit. Guys, that's the story. And it's, this is Paul's effort to remind this church in Ephesus of where they come from. And so I'm going to read a slightly larger passage. This is not going to be on your screen, but this is from Ephesians chapter 2. If, you, if it's helpful for you to close your eyes to listen to the scriptures, that's fine, but I'm going to read a, a larger chunk. Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your trans- trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest of them. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love for us, Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God and not as the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So how did we get here? We are the handiwork of God. That's how we got here. And everything that I've shared with you about my story and all of the things that I left out, which is most of it, all of the struggles and all of the healing and the grace and the laughter and the joy and the illness of kids and walking through all sorts of seasons that I know many of you have also walked through, the fact that we're still married and all of the grief and all of the glory, all of it is the grace of God. All of it is the grace of God and the love of God to me, crafting me as his handiwork, his workmanship, which now is being turned towards good works, which he is entrusting into my hands. Does this make sense? And it's happening with you too. This is also your story. Even if you have never had an opportunity to share it in front of people like I'm doing, you have a story that is full of both dust and glory. And some of you are in a season of dust. And some of you are in a season of glory. And here we are in the same room. And that's what it means to be the church. So you too have a story, and next week Carl is going to lead us in a time of hearing a little bit of some folks' stories. So three people next week are going to have an opportunity um, 
to share a little bit about their story and what God is doing in their life right now. Um, if, if, you, if you don't know already that that's you, it's not you. So, so don't, don't, don't like work all week like, I'm going to tell my story. It's, uh, we have three people already. Carl's already been working with them. Um, but you should come and hear other people's story. I want you to imagine with me that every person in this room who considers themselves to be a follower of Jesus shares something in common, which is this. We have all been brought to life. We all once were lost, and God came looking for us. We all once were caught up in lies, and God led us to the truth. And there is still a lot of handiwork that God is doing in me and in you. Do you guys know that? There's, there's sort of like, we should all be like wrapped in red or yellow construction tape, I think it is. Like God is still at work. There are places in me that are still being brought to life. And there are, there are lost places inside of me and inside of you that God is still coming after and looking for. And I don't know how your life works, but here's how my life works. What I know to be true is that there are lies at work inside of me all day long. And God, we just had an amen on day one. I love that. Thanks, Erica. That's your new seat right there. <laughs> there are lies at work, so God's handiwork is still at work in me, correcting those lies, orienting my heart back to him, turning my shoulders to the truth. That's my story, which leads us to the next part, which is our story. The way that this handiwork is going to continue in me and in you will be the result of you and I together, all of us, learning slowly over time that you and I are like a field that God is tending. And that each one of us, in each one of us, God is doing field-tending kind of work. There are, there are seasons in our life together where God is going to be turning over the soil and exposing what has been in the dark to new and fresh sunlight and air. Those of you who are gardeners, or agriculturally oriented, know what I'm talking about. And, and, and there are seasons where God is going to be planting seeds and watering, and still other seasons that are going to be for harvest. And other seasons where what has been planted in the soil is going to be there, and then an enemy is going to come and going to sow terrible seeds of weeds. And the good stuff and the weeds... Are going to grow up together and what the scripture teaches this is one of the ways that jesus talks about our lives lives as says that there are there are weeds and wheat in your life growing up at the same time and the temptation is to try to pull out all of the weeds all at once and jesus is like well you're going to probably pull out all the good stuff too so would you just let me sort it out that should be a word of encouragement. You don't have to pull out all the weeds of your life. That's God's work inside of you. It's our work together. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. You're God's building. 
So if God's work is handiwork and craftsmanship of people like you and like me, if his work is to heal us up and to bend our hearts back towards his, then, then when we put, uh, and then he puts our hands to good work out into the world, what that means is that you are God's co-worker for that work in the lives of the other people in this community. Does that make sense? So, like, the work that, that God is going to do in you is going to happen through some other co-worker over here. It's God's work, but together we work on one another. Does that make sense? We are God's field. We're his building. So you and I are like a building that God is building, but it isn't happening from scratch. There's this giant foundation that has been laid for us, not just in the life of this church, but in the entire church going all the way back to the day of Pentecost when the disciples were like, what is going on? And the Holy Spirit comes and pours out into them and then the whole church gets birthed into the world. We have 2,000 years of foundation, not least of which a foundation that people built with this beautiful building over 100 years ago and then Jeff and Adrian laboring for 20 years. There's a whole wake of foundation in front of us. Guys, we don't have to invent things. We are immersed into a story that already exists. And this brings us to the final chapter, which is the whole story. And I'll close with this. This is uh, an icon. Some of you are like, what is that? This is uh, one of the most famous icons in the uh, Russian Orthodox tradition. Um, it's from the 15th century. It's painted by Russian painter Andrei Rublev. And this icon is titled the Trinity, and it depicts three angels who visited Abraham at the Oak of Mamre in Genesis chapter 18. You can go and read that story if you'd like. Maybe some of you are familiar with this story, but this is where the writer of Genesis says that the Lord appeared to Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre while Abraham was sitting at the door of his tent. And the text says that immediately Abraham sees three men who were standing opposite of him and he ran to meet them and he showed them hospitality. So Abraham receives these three visitors. He welcomed them into her his tent. He asked Sarah to make some bread, and he took one of his best calves and had a servant prepare a meal, and he took curds and milk, and he hosted these folks for dinner. This icon is meant to, to tell that story from Genesis 18, but what is also true of this icon is that it's the Trinity. It's the triune God. Some have, have read into this text, given that, that the text says that the Lord met with Abraham by the Oaks of Mamre, that the three visitors are there to represent the triune God because this is a threshold moment in the life of Abraham. This is a moment in Abraham's life where the promise that God had made to Abraham back in Genesis 14 begins to come to fruition. This is the moment where the three visitors who Abraham is showing hospitality to, welcoming them and attending to them, this is when they tell Abraham, by this time next year, your wife, Sarah, will have a son. Do you guys remember any of this story? Of course, Abraham asks, how can this be? My wife is really old. <laughs> and the three men reply, is anything too difficult for the Lord? So this icon, if you spend a little time with it, it's painted in a way that invites the viewer to consider joining the table. 
Like there's so much going on in the composition of this painting. The bodies of the angels form a circle. There are two flanking angels are blessing the meal. The oak of Mamre is in the background and it's often interpreted as a symbol of the tree of life in the garden, which itself is a foreshadowing of the cross. The mountain in the background represents Mount Moriah where Abraham bound Isaac for sacrifice. And so Rublev is drawing on a past scene in Abraham's life, and it's said to represent the spiritual journey. There's so much going on in this image. I invite you to Google it. You'll find it. Sit with it. But we have to remember that at the center is the Trinity. It's the unity of the Trinity expressing love, enjoying fellowship, and we are invited in to fellowship with God. We would call to mind Jesus' prayer for us in John 17, where Jesus is praying for us that we may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So friends, I want to close with this. The journey that we have been invited to is to join this table. God welcoming us. And as we join this table, together we become the handiwork of God. And we represent this kind of love out into the world. This is our vocation. And so listen, friends, whatever is going to happen in the life of this community, the desire is that we would love each other in a way that then reflects the kind of community that's depicted in the scriptures and is represented in this icon. We are God's workmanship. This is the story of the scriptures, and I really look forward to getting into it with you. But for now, I want to invite you to stand for worship. We're going to invite the kids back in. This is a new part of our liturgy. The kids will be joining. So parents, I want you to go ahead and make your way back to the pole in the back where we will drop your kids off to you. You will receive them. Our worship folks are going to come back up to lead us into worship. I want to close uh, our teaching in a brief word of prayer. I invite you to open up your hands. I want to bless you to receive the fact that you are God's handiwork, created in Christ for good works, which he has already prepared ahead for you. In Christ's name.